is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Nerdgasm. It is the second match of Season 2, Post Mayhem. I am your host of Black Lantern, Brooklyn Vale, here with another triple threat match. We have Tony Heald versus Caleb Bowman versus Douglas Castle, people who are known uh, to be great talkers, uh, humorous people, but uh, which one of them will rise to the top? We will find out very soon. But before we get to them, I have to go to our judges, starting off with uh, not the co-commissioner, but often uh, the third man, in the uh, Nergasm Stress Relief Room. That is Caleb Coho. Caleb, how do you feel about this match today? Why did you say that name? I will not watch the third man. Fuck off, Boatman. Uh, but I'm excited to be here today. Uh, this is going to be a fun one. Um, there's a certain little boar that I'm excited to uh, to see his debate skills up close for once. Um, also, I'm excited to see Tony. We saw Jacoby. Now we get to see Tony, and I hope that he's just as entertaining. Uh, and Doug, I've actually never seen debate before, but he's part of the battleground crew, so he's got to be good. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Uh, and uh, for our third judge, we had to throw out the bat signal today. Uh, we got a call in the nick of time. One Andrew James Barr, uh, the man, the myth, the legend. How are you doing today? Thank you for coming in on short notice. Uh, and how do you feel about these competitors? Uh, you're welcome. Uh, if, so if I'm the third man, does that make me Harry Lime? I don't want that. Um, I'm, I'm feeling really excited. Uh, I didn't know who was competing until just a few uh, seconds ago. And um, the moment I saw all of their faces pop up, I was like, ooh, this is going to be a good match. I'm super excited. And thank you for calling me to be part of this. All right. Well, let's get into the mind of competitors with a little bit of free form. Starting off with, I guess, the person who was farthest away uh, from Multiplex Home Studios, I guess it would be, uh, Mr. Tony Heal. Tony. Hello. Uh, uh, you are making your uh, debut as I was in orgasm. I'll give you the same question that I ask everybody else who uh, makes their debut. Why do you feel that you are going to win this match? I feel I'm going to win this because I think I can just out rabbit bullshit these two. Like I've played both these both these people before in other matches and stuff, and it's like I respect them a lot. But I think I've just got a little bit of spark of madness. If I can beat them. All right. Uh, best of luck to you, sir. And one of your opponents is one Douglas Castle. Doug, uh, you are an admin over in Movie Battleground, so you've definitely see been around uh, debates for uh, for a good chunk of time. Why do you feel like you are going to win today's Nergasm match? Uh, I feel I'm going to win because uh, Caleb's too nice, Tony bullshits, and I'm just going to hit you with a bunch of facts. So short and sweet. That's what, that's how we like it here. Uh, and your final opponent, gentlemen, is one Caleb Boatman, one of the runners of Movie Warzone at, here at Multiplex Entertainment. Caleb, we recently saw you dismantle uh, David Jimenez in a jukebox dance-off match. Uh, that definitely uh, didn't have internet connection issues. Uh, but why do you feel like you are going to win today's Nerdgasm match? I mean, look, I, you, you can never guarantee that you're going to win a, a debate match because you don't know what the other opponents are going to throw out. You don't know how they're going to react to your arguments. You know, that's the whole thing. Is I just got to be prepared to think on the fly. But I will say, though, as far as Doug's thing about being too nice, I might have been a bit too nice in my earlier debates. Then a certain one happened with an I'm guessing I'm back guy. So uh, no more Mr. Nice Boat. No more Mr. Nice Boat. No more Mr. Cake. 
All right, let's get right into it. Um, so these guys know what know what's going on here. We have one minute of opening followed by uh, a free form section. Not quite five minutes like we, it is the standard heads up situations uh, and then closing arguments. It is a race to three points. Uh, there will be prep questions and speed rounds. One person will be eliminated after the prep forms. Uh, but let's get right into it. Uh, these guys picked DreamWorks for one of their prep questions. And the category or so the question is, uh, what is the best performance in the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy? Uh, we're going to be starting with Douglas on this one. Uh, you have one minute to uh, to give us your opening statements. All right, cool. Uh, one minute on the board. Let's do this as quick as possible uh, so I can hear their BS as well. Um, when you watch uh, How to Train Your Dragons, all three Hand Train Dragon moment, uh, movies, you basically get hooked in with the main character who you're watching grow. You, the reason that you get hooked in is the reason that you get hooked in when you watch Woody from Toy Story. It's because he's the narrative. Uh, he's the reason that you do that. His character was built around this voice actor, believe it or not, uh, and that's Jay Barishaw. I'm going with him because when you see the movie, you can close your eyes and just, you know what Jay's doing in the studio. His performance through all three showed the evolution of a character, not just of a great side character. He showed an evolution of an entire main character, which is very hard to do with just vocal. Uh, to show the scene at the very end, hashtag spoilers, uh, when you see um, Toothless come back. And that's back. time. Cool. All right. Uh, we'll go over to Tony Heal next. Uh, yeah. Uh, give us your opening statements and why do you who do you think is has the best performance in how to train your dragon all right so one of the things that makes how to train your dragon such a beautiful film is the scenery it's the idea of it it's the, the vikingness the scottishness of it and the person that really emphasizes that the most the person that brings it to it is stoic the father figure which is gerald butler not only does his accent and his gruffness give that just this air of believability to the whole region, let alone just the character, but he is truly the, especially in the first film, he's the swingometer for that film. He's the emotional barrier for Hiccup and Toothless to face against. That is where the emotion comes from in his performance. Like you have Craig Ferguson that also gives that Scottish voice, but it's Gerald Butler's voice that is truly the voice that you think of in that film. Like Hiccup. Hiccup's the main character, but like when you think of the movie, you don't think of him. And time. All right, cool. Uh, over to Caleb Bowman to finish up close the opening statement. Sorry, uh, one minute. Time begins when we start talking. I'm going with the performance that the character would not work without the voice performance of this actress. I'm going with Hiccup's mother, voiced by the wonderful, the talented, the Kate Blanchett. I think without Kate Blanchett's brilliant voice, voice inflections and performance in these films, I think this is a throwaway character. I think this is just the mother that's now back without Kate Blanchett. I think she is what makes uh, that character work so well. When we first see uh, her back and we get to see her see stoic again. You can just hear everything in the voice inflections, the emotion, everything just comes through Kate Blanchett's voice. And it's just with like a couple lines. That's what's so amazing about Kate Blanchett's performance 
in these two films. And she also gets some good comedic moments with Jonah Hill's character in the third one, Hidden World. So I think she is the best performance in this trilogy. All right. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, uh, let's go right into the freeform arguments. Uh, we talked about this before before we, we uh, started recording. Uh, it's a great little pendulum. Say your piece. Get out of there. Let the, let the others have their time. Um, let's get it on. All right, cool. I'm going to start this off. Uh, hit and turn first. Uh, Gerard Butler's emotional connection. He's the reason that you're emotionally connected. Incorrect. The reason that you're emotionally connected to that film is due to the fact between Hiccup and Toothless. Those are the reason that that brings you back to that film. To Caleb's uh, argument of without Kate Blanchett, the character wouldn't work. I can give you four actresses right now that would fill that role and probably do a better job. Emma Thompson, Sally Field, Tilda Swinton, and Charlize Theron. If you say any of those characters wouldn't work, Kubo, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, perfect example of why Charlize Theron would fit perfectly in that character because she was a mother character that supported and was also able to kick ass with just her vocal expression. Uh, expression. Uh, Gerard Butler, you can replace him with Russell Crowe, Hugh Jackman, and Brad Pitt. No. I'll, hit you, I'll hit you with Hugh Jackman in Happy Feet. Hugh Jackman in Happy Feet, he was a disappointed father that turned his entire family yeah, but Without I... Hiccup, without Hiccup, without uh, Hiccup and Toothless, this movie does not work at all. Without Quick question, is the movie set in Australia? Is it, it kangaroo? Are they and kangaroos? Okay, no, no, so here's, it's here's set in the Nordic I'm side. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure. All right, pretty all right, sure. all right, all right, all right, all right. Let, you've had you've had you've had your time i've had your time doug we'll let let tony uh have his piece yeah so as i was saying like um each gave some character some very fantastic actors that could do a good job in other films like happy feet like russell crowe could probably do some amazing work in his voice actor but how to train your dragon that movie needed gerard butler he's the his performance is what makes that world just grow and give birth to more because he, he, like, it's just, it's something in that accent. It's something in him that just gives it that air of credibility, that gives it that belief that, oh, yeah, this is actually, this isn't just Canadians messing around, like, trying to do funny accents. It isn't comedians like, oh, hide, hide, ho. I'm Scottish shy. This isn't Shrek. This is an act. These are actual people in this world. All right. Well, I, I, I do want to. Bring on Doug's point. Charlize Theron is the worst part of Kubo and the Two Strings. Let's be real yeah. here. He brings no emotion into that movie whatsoever. I think really all the actresses you could do, they're not really great voice actresses. Kate Blanchett, she, I don't think she had ever done a voice performance before, but she is brilliant in this. And on the whole thing of Hiccup, Jay Baruchel has kind of an annoying voice. It's really nasally. Honestly, I think that it's that character, like we like that character and a lot of your arguments were kind of about the character is integral, but really like you could get other people to do like that kind of younger, you know, uh, character like that. I honestly think Chris Pratt could have done that type of character very well. And like, well, he's shown that he's done that sort of type of so I you know, inept character in uh, the Lego movie. So I do kind of respect that. And just quick touch on Gerard Butler. I think that, again, I think it's the character that makes it not really the voice. You could get somebody else who's Scottish to do that voice. Okay. Hey. Uh, so, okay, first of all, it doesn't matter with the cast that you have. It doesn't matter about the actual accent. Per not having hiccup, here's the thing that you don't understand. The writers wrote around Jay Barishal. They didn't write 
the character in advance. They wrote around Jay Baruchel because of his audition. Without him, you don't have the movie. Without his performance, you don't have anything. Those two actors that it's you are both based on a book. It's based yeah, it's on based a on book. book. It's, it's based, based on, on a one book, of my childhood favorites. Me, yeah, okay, I understand that it's based on a book, but to be adapted, you adapted a character to fit Jay Baruchel perfectly, and he brought it in, elevated the role every time he was in the booth. But as Caleb said, it's mainly the writing that you fall in love with. That that man, that dog and his boy stories. That is very much the writing. It's not the. It's Jay Baruchel does a good job, but he's not the best at it. Are, like you can get someone like Will Poulter, you can get someone like Miles Teller, someone that can give that youthful like exuberance much more. Whereas, like, please name another Scottish actor that could do a good job as Jared Butler did in creating that atmosphere. Because the only one I could probably think of off the top of my head is Billy Connolly, and sadly, he's not able to function anymore. I'm going to say one right now, Brendan Gleeson. I think Brendan Gleeson would be perfect as this. I think he plays that type of character. I think he could give it like the, the needed humor, but the, I think a little bit more intensity than Gerard Butler is able to give. Like a lot of times when, uh, Sorry, Gerard, when Stoic is upset at Hiccup, like in the first movie, I don't really buy it. I don't actually buy like the intensity. I would buy the intensity from Brendan Gleeson in How to Train Your Dragon more than I would buy the intensity. I think that's the biggest problem. He handles like the the heart well, but he doesn't really get the intensity. And again, I think Jay Baruchel's voice, he's like trying to do that. Oh yeah, you, you want me to train my dragon? I, I, you know, he's just kind of doing like the funny voice and he's just kind of relying on the writing to be uh, good to kind of carry his, oh, I'm doing the goofy voice. If I can just jump in for a second, uh, Brendan Gleeson is actually Irish, so and his voice is very typically Irish. Like he could probably put an accent on, but it would if he was just doing his, the best performance he can, it would completely change the movie because it'll be. I wouldn't really like, change. The movie. All right, all right, all right. Let's let, let's get over to over to Doug here. All right, cool. Again, the accent isn't as key as you think. Uh, the entire cast is of all different accents. Majority of them are Northern, North American accents. Thank you. Doesn't matter about who the father's played. I'm telling you right now that Hugh Jackman could fill that role, whether he's Australian or not. He could fill it and give an accent of an American if he wanted to and still deliver a heavyweight performance. Tilda Swinton could definitely take your place of Kate Blanchett. You can't tell me a role of where you're going to get the same performance without having Jade Baruchel. You're not going to get the same performance from any other actor. Why? Because they specifically wanted Jade Baruchel. They wanted that voice. And that's the reason why. Because he's supposed to be a whiny teenager through majority of the movie. And he evolves. It's Tom. It's oh, hard to bowl in the UK. It's really hot today. I, I really want ice cream, but I'm lactose intolerant, and it's going to give me the shits. So does that mean? Does that mean the same with you? Because I want something that's bad for me. That makes it all okay. The Jay Baruchel, he was an okay choice, but there's a lot better options he could have done there. I think that I screwed one. up that joke. Name Will one. Porter, Miles Teller, Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt is no Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt literally plays a hunky guy. He's literally... Oh, not in the Lego movie. Right, all right, all right, all right. Even in his voice in the Lego movie. Not in the Lego movie. In the Lego movie, absolutely. Well, he's not a hunky guy, is Guys, 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 guys. All right, we're going to let Caleb sort of close out close out the freeform here. Then we're going to get into some closing statements. So, Caleb, just add on a little bit to the freeform, then we'll get into the close. 
Okay, I do want to quick touch on the Tilda Swinton thing. I think Tilda Swinton's too kind of cold to play that character. She doesn't. She's never had warmth. That's kind of the big thing with Tilda Swinton. Is she's always distant characters, like in Burn After Reading or uh, Michael Clayton. She's playing somebody distant, not really somebody emotional. Kate Blanchett has the humor in the third one with Jonah Hill, which is very vital. She's She kind of works off of Jonah Hill really well. And she has the warmth when you see her kind of come and see Stoic again. I think, again, the accent, I agree with Doug, the accent isn't really important. Brendan Gleeson would bring the intensity that Gerard Butler just can't bring that intensity. Uh, but Cate Blanchett does everything that is needed of her. All right. All right, guys, so let's get into some closing statements here. Uh, we'll be timing you, but just try to keep it in the 45-second-ish ballpark. Um, Doug, we'll start with you. Um, drive up, wrap up. Cool. Uh, again, you guys are hitting Will Poulter. You're getting uh, you're getting every all these actors that really wouldn't fit the role. I understand what you're trying to go for, but it was a role in which you had to grow, and he grew. With Gerard Butler, it doesn't matter about the accent. You just give me a father figure that actually cares about somebody, and it makes sense. And Hugh Jackman's already done that. Uh, Kate Blanchett, I can switch her with Emma Thompson. And this is fine for you guys to debate this. Emma Thompson has played a role in which she's been a super badass and compassionate. Put her in the role and you get something that's better than what Kate Blanchett gave you. All right, great job. Uh, we'll go over to Tony next. Um, closing arguments, uh, wrap it up. Just try to keep it in that 45-second ballpark. Yep. Um, so without... Without the Gerald Butler character, it's really just a man and his boy story, and it's a lot less impactful than it is. And it's Gerald Butler's performance as this action, like this all action, all in like his gravitas that gives it that like intensity, like of the father son, like being so diverse. Uh, and as I keep going back to the accent, because the accent is really important to really set it in that universe. And I don't think anyone could have done it better than Butler. And uh, with Kate Blanchett, like it's one of those things where she does an okay job, but you have to question, like, was she there for name value or was she there for talent? All right. Uh, we'll go over to Caleb Bowman to wrap up this question. Okay, first to, to talk about Kate Blanchett, I don't think anybody's ever said like anything that her performance is lacking. I think Gerard is lacking the intensity that's really needed. And uh, Jay Baruchel, I think the problem is like when Hiccup grows and moves on, the voice really doesn't. And honestly, it's hard to kind of take some of the emotional moments seriously when they're being spoken by, oh, Jay Baruchel, be sad now. Like that's, it really doesn't work when they're, kind of being spoken by a guy who's still trying to do like the funny voice. The character grows. Jay Baruchel's performance doesn't. And that's one of the biggest problems. I think Gerard's lacking the intensity. Kate Blanchett is doing everything that's needed of her. She's not just, she's there for the talent. She's a two-time Academy Award winner. She's there because she brings the gravitas, the emotionality, but also the humor. She's such a versatile and the kind of intensity and coolness that you need from the character. She's doing every single little thing that you need from that character and that's why she is the best performance in that trilogy all right all right gentlemen uh great job uh there's a little bit of interrupting is sort of try to figure out where where the pace was but uh, it was good um i'm gonna go first and then i'll, I'll pass it off to the rest, rest of the panel um 
I think this was a uh, I think this is turned into a let's gang up on Jay Baruchel. Um Tony and Caleb did a really good job of attacking it. I applaud Doug for defending. I saw a lot of uh, myself in his debate style. Um, I applaud you for your attempt for your attempt at at, at, at at defense, but just wasn't quite wasn't quite enough. Um, so for me, it comes down between Tony and Caleb, and I think it's actually Caleb's defense that gets me that gets me my point. Because with Doug, I think he had a really good, really good um, choice of argument of where I was like, oh, well, there's these other other actresses that, that could fill in that position, um, and where Caleb just sort of is like, all right, well, this person doesn't work, this doesn't work because of this, this person doesn't work because of that. Tony's just like, it's like, all right, the accent really sort of sets the atmosphere, but it's, I, I needed I needed more from from Tony, but I'm not I'm not the only judge here. There are two others here, so Caleb gets my point, but I'll go over to uh, to Andrew next. Andrew, uh, who gets your point and why? Oh, uh, gee, thanks. Um, <laughs> this was actually a lot closer than I thought. Um, I I think everyone sort of started throwing the same argument of, oh, well, this person could have been done by a completely different actor and no one would have mattered. So that, because everyone did that, it just kind of negated everyone's argument for that. Um, however... The, the three arguments I heard that I really liked were Gerard Butler, it's more of the character than about the performance. Uh, for, against Jay Baruchel, I heard it's more of the story that enhances it, not the performance. And for Kate Blanchett, I heard it's more name over talent. But Caleb brought up that she, she delivers what is necessary to the role. Um, the comedic moments land, which is important in a comedy. Um, and because of that, and the fact that they didn't really, it was more just name over talent argument. Uh, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with Caleb. All right, uh, and I guess Molly, uh, Molly the dog agreed with you uh, on her breaking. Uh, so that means Caleb does get the first point. Um, other Caleb, Caleb Coho, uh, your vote did not count, but how would you have swayed? Did you just call me other Caleb? I might have to fire <laughs> you. Uh, he is other Caleb, um, but I would have given my points to other Caleb because I think when the when the barbs came in, no one defended better than Boatman, and he had a really good response for every attack given and was able to throw really strong attacks into both of the other arguments that weren't defended as well as Boatman was defending his. So I will give my point to Boatman. All right. Well, uh, Boatman gets the first point of the match, uh, and we'll pop right into question number two, uh, a category that we have not seen since uh, Jim versus Tim back in round one of uh, season wonder Gasm, that is the Power Rangers. Go, go Power Rangers. And your question, gentlemen, is what is the most underrated series? All right, we're going to go over to Tony to uh, kick off the opening statements. You have one minute. Time begins when you start talking. Okay, this is going to be fun. Um, so a little backstory of the Power Rangers in the UK. It's not a thing. It's just for whatever reason, it didn't make this transatlantic trip. It didn't do anything. So, and I've tried to go back and watch some of it, and it's trash. Like, it is god awful. Like, you see the cuts, like, dear God, why? Why is this entertainment? Like, Jesus wept. So, what I'm going for for the most underrated series is the one that's actually decent that I found, which is Dino Thunder. It's the one that is highly recommended by Power Rangers fans. It's the one that is given the credit. The credit of having good stories, the overarching story throughout it, that and the acting's good in it, but it's the only one that I found which is doesn't make me want to pull my hair out watching it. And as someone that isn't a Power Rangers fan, I think that's the most underrated because it's decent. All right, 
Over to uh, to Caleb Boatman next. Uh, your opening statement. You got a minute. Time begins when you start. I'm going to agree with Tony. The Power Rangers are trash. They are all trash. Not even even if they're decent, they're still Power Rangers, so they're trash. So to me, the most underrated uh, Power Rangers series is the one that says, you know what? We know that you can't really get anything actually like dramatic or serious or anything like that. So we're just going to have fun. That's why I'm going with Power Rangers Samurai. That's the one where it's like, we're going to throw out all the soap opera style drama and intricate stories and all that. We're going to have a villain whose weapon is insult. He insults people and that's how he uses them. Like that's silly, but that's kind of what you need to be in a Power Rangers. And I think it's underrated because Power Rangers fans like crap on it, and I think that's because it came out like after they were watching Power Rangers. All right, excellent. Over to uh, over to Doug. Wrap up opening statements. You got one minute to tell us what you feel is the most underrated Power Rangers series. Woo! I'm gonna be the only one in this camp. Gotta love it. Uh, when you think of underrated, you look at lists and you see what's kept off the list or what should be on the list that's not on the list. Um, and, and when it comes to that, uh, as a Power Rangers fan, you guys can talk shit all you want. Um, it comes to Time Force. Time Force was one of the first series to actually take some real issues and intervene it into the show. It dealt with racism. It dealt with classism. It dealt with sexism. It dealt with a lot of these issues that aren't dealt with in the later series. Um, it's, it's just got a good story over arc. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I'll save the rest for the free form because uh, underrated doesn't mean either it's really good or it's trash. It means it deserves to be on a list and it's not recognized. All right. Excellent, gentlemen. Uh, let's get right into the free form. Uh, you know how it works. Let's get it on. Right. So um, I think the question I've got to ask in this is Dear God, Douglas, what is wrong with you for liking this? Like, seriously, like, even when I remember watching it on Fox Kids as a, like a 10-year-old, I was there just like, dear God, this is terrible. Where's my cartoons? Like, why are these Americans trying to pretend to be Japanese? Like, it's uh, absolute trash, man. And I know we're talking, like, I'm just saying the whole thing. Like, I, like, I'm just curious. What is the greatest series of all time in your mind? I mean, I'm not next up, but uh, uh sure. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll go next. Uh, what? I, 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 I don't know why. I think he was I just asking you like a one quick question. I'll um, answer my part of the free form. Okay, I'm you. gonna. I'm just gonna jump in here and say I think Tony, your definition of underrated, you contradicted yourself because you were like, oh, I looked on all the lists and the one that everybody praises is Dino Thunder. That's the one that everybody says the best and the best. And then it's not underrated because Power of Rangers fans consider it the best. That's not what underrated means. Uh, and I, I think, Doug, your thing is you're getting Power Rangers to take real issues. Honestly, I'm not going to be able to take that seriously if it's a bunch of multi you know, multicolor or you know, primary color, like red, green, yellow, blue, we're going to stop racism. Like, you can't take that seriously. You need like an important show to tackle it. You can't take it seriously if it's just a bunch of 
teenagers who get inside a robot. Like, that just doesn't make sense. I think Samurai is underrated because it says, okay, we don't need to take it seriously. We are going to have fun. And for some reason, adult Power Rangers fans are like, this is not my Power Rangers. Okay, uh, correction here, just to give you a little bit of story. Uh, Just because something isn't maybe your style doesn't mean it can't speak to children and which is teaching them how to maybe treat someone with a little bit respect instead of, I don't know, judging them for the color of their skin or what their skin looks like. This is what happens, okay? People want to judge a series uh, based on, okay, they're multicolored and they're getting in robots and, oh, it's going to be silly. No. Okay, you have an episode in which they tell the backstory of Rancic, who is the main villain. And the reason that he hates human beings is because of how they treated him like garbage. Not like, oh, he's let's downtrod him. No, you literally have people treating him like garbage. His daughter finds the humanity in humans, finds being different than her husband. Uh, the Frax character. I'm not even getting into the Rangers. The Frax character is a character that was put into a robot after the main villain kills him by being saved by Frax. You're talking about, oh, well, these series aren't that good. Well, guess what? They are good. And I'm going to tell you the underrated. When it's underrated, it means it should be on a list when it's not. Your series, Caleb, is not a good series because it doesn't have the audacity to take shots and take risks on giving you a story that you can give the children. Caleb, the, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tony, the reason that your story is so good is because it brought back Tommy right. Oliver, one of the best characters. All right. All right. Over to Tony. Um, so I think the question is, what do we count as underrated? Because I'm looking at the whole genre, the whole genre, I guess, of Power Rangers and saying that uh, people that aren't like Dan will Power Rangers fans, they look at it and see it as pretty much just childish trash. So that's what I'm looking for. Where the reason why Dino Thunder is underrated is because it's actually pretty decent. Like, there's follow-through stories the whole season long. There's actually some conclusion to the end of it. It doesn't just dissolve like most of the Power Rangers stuff I've seen. It's There's actually character growth that goes above. And we're talking about, uh, Douglas mentioned about children. Like, children actually want to be able to watch episodes episodic things like if you've ever if you have young children if you watch them about pj masks there's actually stories gone for the entire thing and i work with really small children they know those stories so they want that to chew on where whereas the older stuff like the stuff like douglas talking about stuff that caleb's talking about that it's just pretty much just here's the one episode chew on it then throw it away okay uh like to talk about like the, the serious issues that covered in Time Force, sure, it's good that they're teaching these lessons to small children because everybody needs to get that. I'm not discounting that, but that being said, that doesn't mean it's a good show. You can get after-school specials with, like, no budget that gives those messages. That doesn't make it good. I don't need, like, in big, like, serious things – from Power Rangers. Power Rangers needs to be fun and stupid or it's not going to be and that's not worth watching. There are better things that you can be watching if you want to tackle the issues of racism, fascism, sexism, all that stuff. There are better, more dramatic, fun kid shows even that could tackle that. I think, honestly, like Power Rangers is just supposed to be silly and fun and stupid because it's a bunch of multicolored, primary colored teenagers that get inside a robot. 
And that's what it's supposed to be. And that's what Samurai is. Samurai is fun. And again, it's underrated because all the you know people who grew up with the 90s Power Rangers, they crap on it because it wasn't what they grew up with, not because of the actual quality of the show. Okay. Uh, no, the quality of the show and the subject matter and the entire writing of it is trash. The original series wasn't good either. Uh it started to get better later in the series when they dealt with real issues like poverty, like abuse, like bullying. They dealt with those issues. And the uh, one that deals with it the most is Time Force. The one that's kept off the list the most is Time Force due to the fact that it's not thought about. It's one of those series that are you're like, oh, Time Force, yeah, that's a great series. That should be on a list. But people forget because there's so many other ones. Tony, you're Dino Thunder, the reason why it's so great is because they brought back a mainstay character to make it that great. Tommy Oliver's been a mainstay character since the origin. Cool. Okay? Uh, Caleb, the reason that your show's not great is because of simple reasons that you stated. It's literally just a, an episodic, let's just get to the point. There's no actual storyline. There's no through line to keep people's attention. There's no real... Line. There's two stories in that. I can name five in my series alone. I can name six in Tony's. Tony's is a great series, but it's not underrated. All right. All right. Uh, judges have heard enough uh, for the free forum. We're going to go into the closing. Uh, we're going to go back over to, uh, to Tony uh, to wrap up your argument. Right, so this argument really depends on whether the judges are Power Rangers fans or not. If they're in the same boat as me as someone that think, disagrees with the idea that it's good, like something that's actually decent is underrated because it's one of those things you look at it and go, okay, for trash children's TV, you've actually got something decent there. You can actually build on that. You can develop that. If Dino Thunder was, made, was the basis of the movie, it probably would have done okay rather than the naff that it was. Like, you look at it and just like it blows my mind that it's a decent thing in this trash almost. Cool. Uh, we'll over to Caleb Bowman next. Okay, Tony, I want to talk about Dino Thunder for a second. I think the problem with uh, Dino Thunder, like you said, you say, oh, it's not, it, it is underrated because I don't like Power Rangers. I think Power Rangers is bad, and this one actually seems decent. Well, that's not what underrated means. The Power Rangers fans, you saw that on every Power Rangers list. You said that. Every single Power Rangers list you had said that at the top because that is the most popular, the most well-liked one. That does not mean that it's underrated. Uh, Doug, again, Time Force, it's just, it's too serious. It's too serious. That's not what we need from Power Rangers. Power Rangers is supposed to be fun. The reason you sit down and watch Power Rangers is because Power Rangers is fun and silly. You want to kick back, you want to have some popcorn, and you want to just watch something fun. Your show doesn't sound fun. It sounds like it's going to be preachy and just not make me feel good. I want Power Rangers to make me feel good, have some fun, and that's what Samurai is. It's just fun. It doesn't try to overcomplicate anything. It's just letting you have a little bit of fun while you're watching a Power Rangers show, which is exactly what Power Rangers should all right. Over to Doug uh, to wrap up the closing statements uh, for this question. Once again, gentlemen, just try to keep it in that like 45 to minute is short of ballpark. 
Okay, I'm going to try and make this as short and sweet as possible on you here. Uh, the question, again, is most underrated. When you look at most underrated, it's not most hated. It's not the best. Uh, Samurai literally fell flat with an entire community. If that's not saying that it's uh, that doesn't deserve to be on a list, that's something. Uh, Tony's Choice, obviously, it's one of the better series, and it's usually at the top of the list because of the fact of it brought back Tommy Oliver. Everybody was cheering on. Time Force is usually left off a list or at the bottom of the list of the top 10 because of the fact is that a lot of people forget that it's there. Not that it's on the Unforgettable series. There's a lot of series in Power Rangers. But if you ask them, there were four series in a row. There was Light Force, there was Lost Galaxy, there was Lost Sea Space, and there was Time Force. All of those together, and Time Force is something that gets a little left out, and it's unfair. All right. Uh, great job, guys. Uh, good arguments. We'll now go over to the panel for their decision. Uh, I'm going to start with Caleb Coho because your vote did not count last time. Uh, Caleb, who gets your your point and why? Um, this one I felt kind of – it kind of was the same way, but for what person? I'm giving my point to Doug. I think Doug did the best job of selling me on why his show is underrated. Uh, Tony kind of just sat there and said that garbage is garbage entirely. Um, it did give me a reason why his is actually underrated. And Boatman did a good job of tearing that down. And while Boatman did a good job of attacking Dino Thunder, he couldn't really attack Time Force except saying he's too serious. He did a solid job of selling Samurai, but Douglas did a really good job of tearing that down. So I'm going to give my point to Douglas. All right. Uh, I'm gonna go next, uh, and I actually agree with my uh, with my with my uh, with my judge partner as well. Uh, I'm also gonna go with Doug. I think that all three competitors in that start of the free form, they're I think I think they're both like they're all like all right. Out of these three shows, which one is the best? I think Doug tackled the tackled the question best. What is the most underrated? And he sort of gave me that aspect. Um, I applaud Tony for trying to go for like a minimalistic like the entire series of shit. This is just the one that happens to be good. Uh, and I think Kale, I think Caleb did. Did a really good job to try to give that camp, that campy side, um, but I think it was I think it's it comes down to the knowledge of the content, and I think that's where I think that's where Doug's ends really got to shine. Um, Andrew, uh, your vote did not count, but how would you have swayed? Uh, I would have gone the same way. Uh, I think Doug was the one who really argued why it was underrated, not necessarily why it was the best. Um, I think everyone else started to argue why theirs was the best, but not why it was underrated. So that's why I would have given it to Doug. All right. Let's uh, be real. We all knew Doug was going to win that yeah. one. I picked the only show that I had actually seen. <laughs> and uh, and jokes on you guys, I actually like the Power Rangers series. My favorite is Ninja Storm, but if I had to answer this question, <laughs> I would have said I would have said Lightspeed Rescue. I, I think that show uh, gets much more slack than it deserves. But enough about Power Rangers. Let's move on to Please a category yet. making its debut in Nerdgasm. That is Bond. James Bond uh, finally being as uh, being suggested for a category in Nerdgasm. Uh, and the question is as follows. I think probably uh, of the of the uh, of the judges, probably the, the the one we were sort of excited for the most. Uh, what is the best movie to introduce somebody to the James Bond world? Uh, we're going to start off with Caleb Boatman. Uh, you have one minute. Uh, time begins when you start talking. To me, I think you know you're introducing somebody to the world, so you want them to continue to keep watching the entire franchise, but you also want them to have a good idea of what they are going to get. That's why I'm going with GoldenEye. 
because I think if you go something like pre-Goldeneye, you're going to get something too campy and it's going to turn them off. It's going to be too silly for them. But if you go anything like post that, it doesn't really represent the entire series. Goldeneye does have like the fun stuff with Famke Jensen and all that, but it has the good action and the good story of Bond going up against Sean Bean's character, another double O agent. And I think that's really fun. I think it's a great action film and it really works. All right. I'll go over to Doug next. Um, your opening statement. You got a menace. Time begins when you start talking. Cool. So uh, I'm in the same boat as Caleb. Uh, we're on the same page, except um, I think uh, what kind of turned me back onto Bond and turned me into, you know, loving Bond just the same is something that my cousin brought to my attention uh, and brought me to the modern age of Bond and Casino Royale. Daniel Craig's just, uh, just Daniel Craig's Bond is literally the epitome of what Bond should be from now on. Um, I think it brought some of the best action, uh, some of the best fighting that James Bond's ever done. Uh, and when you get initiate, when you get your first initial look at him, you're like, oh, he's not going to be that intimidating. By the end of the movie, you're like, yeah, I don't want to mess with that dude ever in my life. Uh, let's watch the next one. Uh, yeah. All right, I'll go over to Tony uh, to wrap up his uh, travel with the opening statements. Time begins to start talking. Okay, so with introducing Bond, like this is a thing over here. This is a ritual that you have as a child. You sit down and watch ITV to see Bond. I wonder if ones that you see are the classic ones first so it's really for me personally it's a toss-up do you go from the very beginning do you go with dr no or do you go with a better bond in live in roger moore and live and let die i live and let die is immensely a classic of the 70s it's such a great film roger moore just instantly is bond he portrays it so well there's so much the campiness in it it's just so encapsulated capturing solitaire is such a great Bond girl, it's like the music in it. Living that die is one of the best Bond tracks. You'll stick in your mind, and also if you look at the run forwards. So if you look at what like Brosnan is a bit, there's a bit of ebb and flow of the quality of movies. Daniel Craig, they're okay, but there's some massive drop falls. Roger Moore, it stays on the same level. It stays on that same good graces for quite a period of time, and then you can expand from there and go, oh, here's Connery, here's Dalton, here's and then you can go for the older stuff, uh, newer stuff, I should say. All right. All right. All right, gentlemen, uh, opening statements have been made. Let's get into the free form. Let's get it up. Okay. Uh, I'm going to jump right in here and first talk about Casino Royale. I think Casino Royale is a good movie. I think as far as introducing somebody to the Bond movie, I think there's a problem. I think, A, if you want to introduce somebody with a great, like, Daniel Craig Bond, do Skyfall. Because then you're going to get some of the more, like, fun Bond elements that will get them to watch the rest of the series. I think the biggest problem with uh, Casino Royale is that it's not, like, the campy, fun Bond. Daniel Craig is, like, so miserable and upset in that entire movie. He's not having fun throughout that whole thing. And part of the enjoyment is the way that it takes the Bond tropes we know and kind of turns them around like what would you like to drink sir 
I don't, or uh, Martini, how do you want it? I don't care. Like it takes the tropes that we know and flips them around, which is why you need to have some sort of knowledge of Bond like the other movies first, so it's not a great introduction. To talk about Live and Let Die, I think the problem with that one, it's the exact opposite. It's too campy that it's going to turn somebody off of the franchise. I think the villain explodes and inflates. Like, if I watch that for the first time, I'm like, what is this franchise? It's stupid. I don't want to watch it. So, you're saying that mine's not campy. Well, in this modern age, uh, most people want the Ethan Hunt. Most people want that kind of gritty person. And if you're going to draw somebody and you're not going to draw them in camp, uh, unfortunately, unless they're like five. If you're trying to get somebody's attention outside of a five-year-old, you're going to go and do something that's a little bit more gritty. And what that is is Daniel Craig. And you're saying go to you know other Daniel Craigs and introduce them that way. Why? When you can introduce them to the very first Daniel Craig movie, which is a super solid movie, and it's a really good James Bond. It's the James Bond of the modern age, fellas. I'm sorry. You can introduce somebody later to the older ones where there's some camp and they, they can understand the past while still appreciating, appreciating the future. Um, Doug, I like your trying to rewrite history, but sadly, Bond doesn't start in the 2010s and tw- or early the late 20 uh, 20th cent- 21st century. Um, Bond is a character that goes on for decades. It's a if you're introduced someone to the franchise, you need it the the good, the bad, and the ugly. You need all of it. Do you need to understand like to truly get a sense of Bond? Like, so to go with Casino Royale, it's a ve- I'll be honest, it's one of my favorite Bond films. But when I finish it, I don't go, oh, I want to watch another Bond film. I want to watch a Timothy Dalton one. I go, oh, I want to watch Bourne now. I want to watch Mission Impossible. I want to watch them. Whereas, and GoldenEye, it's one. Well, it's just there. It's just mediocre in the ter- grand scheme of Bond. It doesn't do, it doesn't swing one way or the other. It's just Brosnan doesn't bring anything special to the character oh. apart from a little like he's not a Moore, he's not a Connery, he's not even a Craig. Like if you want, if you really want to attach someone to the character, you need Roger Moore. Again, I, I I disagree with you there. I think Brosnan kind of is like the perfect balance of like everything that you need in a James Bond. I think he is suave, but he also has the action, but he also does have the good one-liners and all that that you want in a great James Bond movie. I think to kind of hit on your points, Doug, as a, it's not going to draw people in. I think you brought up like Ethan Hunt. You said, oh, people want Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt's not that miserable. Ethan Hunt's having fun when he's out there. He's having a good time. And Casino Royale, he's not having a good time. That movie's not fun. And I think Tony's right. People are going to want to watch Born and all that. They're going to watch like one of the older Bonds after Casino Royale. And they're like, what is this? This isn't what I want from a Bond movie. I think Living Like That, you did say that like, Roger Moore is like on the same, like hits the same level throughout his whole career where Pierce Brosnan like weakens as his movies went on. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the movies, Tony, and each individual movie. And I think Goldeneye, it really works well as a movie. It's a great kind of fun action story. It has the funness and the camp, but it's not too campy to where it's going to turn people off. It's just fun. It's a fun, great action movie. All right, so to use your point against you, you said that it's about the movies. Casino Royale is one of the better James Bond movies that's out there. 
Okay, if you're going to introduce somebody to a James Bond movie and you want to start them at the beginning of a James Bond or a 007, if you will, you start them with this beginning chapter. And that's Casino Royale. You yourself, Caleb, said uh, it's about the movie. It's not necessarily about the Bond. But the Bond makes the movie. Uh, and Casino Royale wouldn't be nothing without Daniel Craig as James Bond. James Bond, you want to be introduced to this person. And he's actually, I, I'm sorry, uh, he's very suave in the movie. Um, very suave in the movie. Uh, and he just adds a gravitas of action to the movie, which maybe not for you guys is important in a Bond movie. But now in the modern age, it's important. That's how you're going to draw people in. I'm sorry. That is how you're going to draw people in to get watching and go to the past to appreciate it. But it's such a big difference, Casino Royale and the rest of Bond. It's like you're gonna watch it like two completely different things. You get you like you try and show some, then you show someone uh, Octopussy. They'll just go, "What the hell is this? This is completely different." You need to gradually increase introduce them to the Bond series to get the to the characters, which dots not to know. Uh, Living Like Die really does well. You have Phoenix Lighter in it. You have the SIS in it. You have miss money penny in it and then it also gives you the ability to build on like oh yeah you can get go see q in this next movie you can go see m in this next movie and also in terms of caleb's point about uh the quality of movies going forward it's a case we're introducing people to them uh, if you show them pierce brosnan you're gonna have to show them die another day very soon and no you shouldn't show anyone die another day like you like yeah. whereas with the more films you get you get the classic films that they can build on and then you can watch like oh yeah you've got this one to go next you have this one next this one this one and also uh, do you want to see the guy before him because he was scottish and he did really this really cool thing and it's like and then oh yeah we went older we went more serious on the Manchester secret service we did this we did that whereas with brosnan and craig you just feel like you're gonna lose those people a minute or two after all right i disagree completely i think brosnan uh, oh Sorry, uh, judges have heard uh, have heard enough. We're gonna go into closing arguments now. We'll go to Boatman. Uh, once again, guys, uh, keep your closing arguments in that forty-five second to one minute window. I'm gonna disagree completely. I think that Brosnan hits the level where, if I show them Goldeneye first, I could show them Casino Royale or Live and Let Die second. I could go to either of those two. Somebody could jump off from there. I think you can't do that. You can't show somebody Live and Let Die and then Casino Royale right after, or vice versa. Goldeneye is such the perfect balance of both of those. I'm gonna point on Doug's point on the, the gravitas of the action. Yeah, you have great gravitas of the action with the, the bungee jumping scene or the end when they're on top of the tower. There's like a lot of great fun action. And again, the references in Casino Royale, Casino Royale is best enjoyed when you under, have an idea of what Bond is because it's such a subversive idea of Bond. You need to understand the concept of Bond as a character. And Live and Let Die, again, it's too silly. It's too goofy. People are going to be turned off by it. You're going to watch it and be like, ah, this is too silly. The villain inflates and explodes, and that's how he dies, and he has shirts. Like, that's some Dr. Evil Austin Powers stuff, and it's just far too too silly and it's going to turn people off from watching any more Bond films. All right. Cool. Over to Doug for your closing arguments. Uh, once again, we're in our second two-minute range. Cool. Uh, I'm going to hit on the same note that Caleb had. Um, you don't want to scare somebody off with two camp. Uh, if it's two camp, it's going to scare people off. Uh, per Caleb's note about uh, not knowing about something, 
uh, and people wouldn't care. Uh, that's not true at all because if you ever been to a comic book movie, guess what? People don't know shit, and they go and go and they go back home and research it. If you give them Casino Royale, you're giving a Bond that pays homage to previous Bonds to make your curiosity grow about the character. There's about to be 25 years of uh, 25 Bonds, 25 different Bond movies. Just of people exploring that. The way you get them to explore it in the modern age is with a modern bond. That's how you get it to basically you get somebody's appreciation to grow. You get their you get them to want to invest in a character first. And you do that with Casino Royale. Cool. All right. Uh, and over to Tony now to wrap up uh, the final prep question. Right, I'm going to talk about Live and Die, Let Die a lot more, but uh, Doug, just quickly say, um, how many people watched Mission Impossible film series then went to watch the TV show? Um, Live and Let Die is the best one because it does, like, yes, the ending is a bit silly, and, but the scene, the scenes in it, the boat scene is fantastic in it. The plane scene where they see the literal wings get ripped off and he tries to fly, that's great. The, like Moore's performance is one of the best what Bond performances, and as I said before, the song "Living Like Die" is one of the songs that will stick in your head, and it'll make you go, "Oh, that's a fantastic song." Let me hear uh, "Show the Bassies now." Let me hear this one. Let me hear that one. Like to learn about Bond is an important, really important thing over here, and you need to start from the beginning. You need to get that understanding. You need to get that love of the classic, so you can understand the new. You can learn to love it. All right. Cool. Uh, we'll now go over to the judges for their decision. We're going to start with Kill Coho because your vote did not count. Oh, sorry, Andrew. Andrew's vote did not count last time. Um, I definitely am all here. Um, Andrew, who gets your point and what? Can I just get a repeat of the question one more time? The question is, uh, what is the best movie to introduce somebody to James Bond? Okay. Um, this was really close. For me, um, I think I think Tony really hurt Doug when he said it's such a different tone than the rest of the Bond movies that it's not a good start. Um, so it really came down to Caleb and Tony for me. Um, and the reason I'm going... Uh, the reason I'm going to go with Caleb is because he says it's such a good middle point that you can go either way, inter introducing where Bond goes or where he comes uh, comes from, that it gets you really interested and can either like make you want the grittiness or um, make you search for the campiness. Uh, it, it's really tough. It's like a hair, a hair, but I'm going to give it to Caleb. Can I, can right. I just jump in and demand that he takes down his Beatles? <laughs> All right, sorry. I'll put up my country music. Yeah. You can have uh, Tina Turner instead now. <laughs> All right, over to uh, over to Kill Coho now for your uh, your decision. Um, yeah, I think Boat or uh, Tony did a, a good job of taking out why Casino Royale isn't that great, and I think Boatman kind of presented the argument in a really good way of that Golden Knight is kind of the best of both worlds. It keeps the campiness and the seriousness. Um, so with that point, I'm going to very slightly lean in favor of Boatman. All right. Well, that means um, 
two things. One, Caleb has the advantage. Actually, it means three things. One, Caleb has the advantage going into the speed round. Two, Doug has Doug is going into the speed round. Um, unfortunately, Tony, you have been eliminated uh, from the match. Um, I you actually would have gotten my vote. I think oh, that's you, nice. I, th I think you I think you did a good job of like. All right, here's where you're starting, and then here's where you're going after. Caleb's like, oh well, you can go either way, but it's like, like I got a, I got a more like, I think a more laid out argument from Tony as to Caleb. I agree with both of them. I think they both attacked. Same thing. Question one: Attack Doug. Doug did what he could, but it just wasn't quite enough. And I think, uh, but my vote doesn't count. Um, Alrighty, it's Caleb versus Doug in the speed round portion. Caleb is going to have that advantage 2-1, so we will only need one point to win. Uh, Doug will need the two uh, to get the W. Uh, but like I said to the competitors, uh, there is a 40-second opening followed by a 30-second rebuttal. Uh, once, you, uh, once I finish the question, uh, if I hear you first, you're going to be going first. Uh, best of luck, and please listen very carefully to the following questions. This. All right, there you go. All right, so your first question is as follows. What is the most exciting movie announcement in Phase 4 for the MCU? The Eternals. The Wait, Eternals. Uh, no. The Eternals? Yeah, I know what you said. I was going to say uh, Blade, and then I backed up because uh, I realized it's not Phase 4. Dang. Um... Is Black Panther 2 in Phase 4? Nope. No. I didn't pay attention to Comic-Con, guys. Dang. Uh, Damn it, Bowman. You should have stopped watching the third man again for five minutes. <laughs> Dang, I hate this question because I didn't. Um, uh, Black Widow. Black Widow. <laughs> All right. After much deliberation between Caleb Bowman and Caleb Borman, um, we uh, came up with uh, we came up with Black Widow versus uh, versus the Eternals. But I did hear the Eternals first. Doug, you're gonna have 40 seconds for your opening argument. Uh, time begins when you start talking. All right, so let me paint a picture for you real quick. You have one of the most diverse cast, not just a cast of men and women. You have a cast of diversity. You have a cast that's led by Salma Hayek and Angelina, Angelina Jolie. You have a female director. You have something that is now going to be, it's not going to be the first, unfortunately, because they've been waiting for Black Widow. So I'll give Caleb that. That's going to be the first female-led one. Uh, but... This is going to be something that's going to be on the level of Endgame and Infinity War. With the Eternals, you get the most powerful beings in the universe. All right, perfect. Over to Caleb uh, for your opening arguments. 40 seconds. Time begins when you start talking. Okay, I was so happy that the first thing I saw when I looked up Comic-Con announcements is Black Widow, because this is a character who we have been waiting and deserves her own solo project, because Black Widow is one of the most interesting characters. I think her backstory is going to be incredibly, incredibly interesting. I want to see where she comes from, because this is a character who the backstory we don't know, but unlike some characters, 
it's actually needed. And it'll be interesting to see how she got from point A to point B, this kind of transformation of her into this killer, and then kind of like going out of that life and being, you know, becoming a good person. I think that's really just a fascinating transformation that I want to see. I don't care about the eternal time. All right, over to rebuttals now, starting with Doug. 30 seconds, floor is yours. Comic book fans rejoice because The Eternals is something that a lot of comic book fans have been waiting for. You may not care about it, Caleb, but a lot of people do. Black Widow, we know what she's been through. We know where she's going because that's the story's already said. They're going to introduce one character that's exciting about uh exciting for the future, which is Taskmaster. The rest of them, I care less about. The Eternals is an entire universe expanding. An entire universe expanding. Perfect. Uh, over to Caleb Bowman uh, to wrap up the question. Sure. It's going to add a lot of things later, and those things will probably not be at their best in the Eternals. Those things will be at best in, like, the big team-up movies. Anytime they try to expand the universe, like in Captain Marvel or Doctor Strange, it's like, okay, those movies are fine, but now we're actually waiting them for them to show up in, like, the big team-up movies. Black Widow, sure, it might not add a whole lot, but what it is, it's going to give us a great, intriguing story of a character study, a character transforming, becoming something different, and a great villain that I'm excited for with Taskmaster. Time. Oh, boy. Um, this is tough. Um, holy crap. All right, let's go to the judges panel. Uh, I'm going to go first, because my votes did not count last time. Um, both uh, both competitors uh, pitching uh, different sides of the coin. Doug sort of going on, look what this is. Look at what this is going to do for the MCU. Really continue to expand. Whereas Caleb Bowman is like, this is a character who's had a lot of back, who's had a lot of backstory uh, that's wanted to be explored. Um, by this. Ugh. I'm gonna go Caleb by a by like a by a hair. It's I, I I'm yeah. I'm gonna have to go Caleb. I think just because it was, he really sold me on the idea of like this is something that we've been looking to that, that fans have, fans have been looking looking forward to. And then he gave a he gave a good counterpoint as to why necessarily expanding with new characters doesn't work. And I didn't get didn't quite get that get that from Doug, uh, but it's like fifty five forty five. Caleb, I'm not the only not the only judge here though. I am going to go to uh, Andrew next. Who gets your point and why? Okay, so I like Doug's argument that it could expand the universe, but then Caleb came back and said, "So did these two movies, and they didn't necessarily and they weren't necessarily the greatest." Um, and unfortunately, Doug kind of gave Caleb a point when he said. But he started talking about diversity and then went, well, I guess your movie's going to do that first when it came to um, the, the director. Um, it be, and because of that, um, I didn't hear enough about Eternals and I heard more about Black Widow to get me excited. So I'm giving it to Caleb as well. All right. Well, that means that your winner, gentlemen, uh, is Caleb Boatman. Um, we're going to go over to Caleb Coho. Uh, your vote did not count in this one. How would you have swayed? Um, I would have also gone with Boatman. I think Doug did a solid job of like teeing up the Eternals, and then Boatman just punched him in the face by kind of just saying like, "Yeah, they did that. Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel, and they are better in team up movies than they are on their own." And then also kind of like was able to block the other shots that that were on Blackwater, where it's like, "We know where his story is going." He's like, "Yeah, but the journey might be cool." 
uh, with a good story. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Bowman. All right. Um, all right, let's do some post-match interviews very quickly, starting off with our winner, Caleb Boatman. Uh, Caleb, you got the first point, and then you got the third point, um, and then you sort of got the, you got the speed round. I uh, sort of been saying it system throughout the match, uh, but how do you feel about your win today? Oh, I feel great. I'm very happy with my win. Uh, the one thing, it's just like, yeah, I, I didn't get the Power Rangers one. I picked the one Power Rangers show I had actually watched as part of my argument. So that was just like, okay, I'll argue for this one because I've seen it and everybody craps on it. But Doug, he knows Power Rangers, so, you know, they're good good for him. He fought very well on that one. The other ones, it's like everybody fought very well. I just, you know, I planned out my answers where it was like, okay, I want to be able to counteract, you know, from every angle and see why this is like the best of both worlds and that's what I try to do. Speed rounds are always tough because it's like you only have 40 seconds to come up with an answer, especially because I had to Google Marvel's Phase 4 slate uh, and Black Widow was just the first one that came up. So I just kind of got lucky with that one. All right. Uh, we'll go over now to, to Doug. Doug, I think the Power Rangers question was a great example of what what power and what talent you have in a category that you are super passionate about? Um, obviously, you got that point in Power Rangers. You got that point in Power Rangers. Um, I think it's just just a, just a touch short um, on this on the speed round question at MCU. Uh, but how do you feel about your performance on the list? Uh, I mean, it is what it is. At the end of the day, I get get the points, so that's what it is. All right, um, and over to Tony. Uh, Tony, you did not uh, get to escape uh, the prep questions in advance on, uh, but no. how did you think of the of the speed round question? Uh, are we fools to give Caleb the win? No, I drew a little boat thinking uh, to show my support. I thought Caleb had the right answer. I think the true answer is Doctor Strange because I think that bringing in the horror element is going to be something amazing, but I, sadly, annoyingly, I didn't get through. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy with my performance. I think I, eh, it's just one of those things. I ran into a boat and sunk. All right. Uh, over to judges for some final thoughts. Andrew, what did you think of this match? Um, this was the kind of match that I was hoping for. Um, barbs just thrown left and right. Uh, and really tight arguments um, that I had a hard time struggling to pick an answer for. Um, everything I wanted. Um, good match to all. Uh, you guys made, you guys really delivered here. Yeah. Uh, I'm Kyoko. Uh, I was like, I'm muted. I remembered. Um, yeah, no, this was a great uh, match all the way around. I think Boatman really showed what he could do. I think Doug really showed what he could do. And I think Tony even was presenting good fights. He was just kind of stuck in a triple threat situation where if you're not the absolute best, you're not necessarily winning in that round, um, which is kind of tough. But I think Tony could definitely come back. Doug could come back. And I think uh, Boatman's got a bright future out of him. All right. Um, and yeah, just to wrap, wrap things up, I think this match is a good example of in that triple threat format is that you need to beat somebody else's strength. Um, I think in the last match, everyone got the point in their strength that they're in. So I think for competitors moving forward, you need to you need to do your research on, on, on the other ones, because if you don't have that knowledge going into it, you could you could suffer and that could cost you the game. Um, but a great match on the list. I want to thank all of our competitors, Tony, Doug, uh, Caleb. Congratulations on getting the win. We'll be seeing all three of you back in Nergasm uh, some, sometime eventually. Uh, but for Tony, Caleb, Doug, Andrew, Caleb, Coho, I'm the Black Under Brooklyn Vale. Cheers, guys. Be sure to subscribe to Multiplex uh, and all the various content that we do. Um, and as always, drive safely.